Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt Kelly and Tom Fox take a look at the Securities and Exchange Commission enforcement action on Kraft Foods, lessons learned for the internal control professional, and more importantly, for the compliance professional going forward. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up the Kraft Foods SEC enforcement action that Matt wrote about. It's a uh, interesting case, I think, from a revenue recognition perspective. That's really only the starting point, Matt. So you want to um, uh, tell us a little bit about the background facts, and then we can maybe head into some of the compliance lessons learned. Yeah, sure, Tom. Uh, this actually, I think, is a very interesting case from Kraft Heinz. Uh, it is an accounting fraud case that was announced last week where Kraft agreed that it will pay $62 million to settle these accounting charges against the SEC or against from the SEC against the company. Uh, but actually, this is fairly unusual. It is not a revenue recognition fraud case. It is an expense recognition fraud case where employees were tinkering with agreements from Kraft's suppliers And of course, Kraft is a food business and it's a giant one. So it has oodles and oodles of suppliers of all sorts of ingredients and materials. Uh, The employees were fiddling with those agreements with Kraft suppliers so that they could hit cost cutting targets and uh, recognize the cost savings uh, improperly. And basically that had the effect of lowering Kraft's reported cost of goods sold which consequently would then inflate the pre-tax income that Kraft was reporting to investors. Uh, This ultimately all unraveled in a restatement that came about in 2019, where Kraft had to recognize an extra $208 million in various cost savings it had reported, but were not, in fact, actually real uh, because of various accounting rules. So, Tom, we could talk about the internal control failures that allowed these bogus cost savings to get reported, or we could talk about the strategic flaws and the key performance indicators that Kraft and its owner had put in place, which I think is the real story because that created this uh, high-pressure corporate culture that ultimately led employees to think, yeah, we have to commit fraud on the uh, procurement and cost savings side to hit performance targets. So we could talk about that control environment and corporate culture. And as a bonus, we could even talk about a statement from SEC Commissioner Caroline Crenshaw, who put out a statement about this case, kind of like an after credit scene in a Marvel superhero movie. We get this statement from her at the end of the case where she said this flaws in this case and how Kraft behaved 
raised some real questions about SEC penalty policy that need to be addressed because she fears that perhaps the penalties in cases like this are too small for various reasons. So we could talk internal controls, corporate conduct and corporate culture, or we could talk about SEC penalty policy all in one case. It is a great, fascinating thing that uh, the SEC served up to us. Well, Matt, typically we go from a bigger picture uh, into the weeds, but how about this time we go start with the weeds and then go to the bigger picture and maybe start with what were the controls that were either either failed or were overridden and then maybe move to some of the reasons you saw in either uh, tone from the top or corporate culture that perhaps led to the controls not uh, working. Well, sure. So I'll I'll start by telling a little bit about what was the actual cost savings fraud that Kraft was engaging in, according to the SEC. Uh, and of course, as always, Kraft did settle these charges, but will neither confirm nor deny any of the allegations put in the SEC settlement order. But anyway, here's what the order actually said. For example, Craft employees would engage in what we would call a prebate deal from its suppliers, where Craft employees would maybe go to a sugar provider and say, we will sign a four-year contract, but we want you, sugar provider, to give us an upfront cash payment in exchange for our future commitments over three, four, five years to buy sugar. And that upfront cash payment would be a prebate as opposed to a rebate you might get after a purchase. Um, now, a prebate is legal in the United States, uh, but the accounting treatment is that if you are getting a prebate for four years worth of future commitments, then you can only recognize that prebate over the course of the full four years. So if it was $100,000, you could not recognize $100,000 in a cash payment right up front. You would only get to recognize $25,000 for each of those four years. That is not what Kraft did. Kraft just recognized the whole thing right up front. So that gave the impression that the supply contracts they were signing were cheaper than they actually were for those first years. And that was what uh, Kraft employees would do to be able to hit their cost savings targets. And there were prebates or there were basically other uh, transactions very similar called clawbacks where they Kraft would agree to a lower price right now in exchange for paying a higher price in the future that if you balanced it all out would then be even for the course of the four years. So it's like discount now and bill me later. But all of it was geared toward craft being able to report as much cash as possible and as little cost as possible right up front so that they could hit their yearly targets. And this went on in 2015, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, ultimately, Kraft did, I think it was, here it is, 295 transactions over this period that had to be restated. And when they were restated, that pushed up all of these reported savings by $208 million. Uh, so we had a lot of that. And we had a lot of evidence in emails back and forth from employees that they knew full well what was going on here. And it was to satisfy um, price to, uh, cost savings targets. And, you know, so sometimes they would have a preliminary contract and then later on there would be these 
and annotations and whatnot that basically said, okay, but we're going to squeak in a prebate and report it now, but let's not tell the controller at Kraft what we're doing. It's really important that the controller not know about the prebates and their ties to future commitments because any controller worth their salt would say, nah, that's not uh, according to GAP, we can't do it. So this was led by some fairly senior executives in Kraft, including the chief operating officer at the time, uh, a man whose name is, let me get it correct here, Eduardo Pelissoni, uh, and their chief procurement officer, Klaus Hoffman. Uh, both men also uh, were charged by the SEC. COO Pelissoni has agreed to pay a $315,000 in penalties and interest and whatnot. Um, and he neither confirms nor denies. Uh, and then Klaus Hoffman is looking at, I think, a $100,000 penalty, although his settlement still needs court approval. So we have two senior executives who clearly were either turning a blind eye or are directly involved in tinkering with contracts and not getting documentation and looking the other way or communicating to employees what we really want, which is to you know, basically violate GAP so that we could keep our costs down now and hit our performance goals and pre, you know, present nice, wonderful financial statements to the investors, which went on for a period up until it all unraveled in 2019 when Kraft finally admitted, A, we have an accounting probe from the SEC, B, oh yeah, we have to restate, and then they did. Uh, they also declared a massive goodwill write-down in 2019, which essentially was an admission that the merger of Kraft and Heinz in 2015 into Kraft Heinz, uh, that hadn't worked. Um, this merger is generally considered to be a big mess, and now we have this last final little coda here of an SEC enforcement action because of the poor accounting controls. And we could go on all day about the various little schemes that ran, but that was generally what was going on. We're going to take a break from our sponsor and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's maybe take uh, the next level up, Matt. And I was very intrigued by your comment of, quote, the truly useful lesson is about the forces that drove Kraft employees to commit accounting fraud in the first place. So what lessons did you see for the compliance professional around those forces that drove these senior executives to commit accounting fraud? Well, you know, that's really was the thing that stood out to me about this case, Tom, because as much as I love talking about accounting fraud and the minutia of internal controls, the bottom line is for most large companies, you're going to have your own system of internal controls, which is going to be violated in its own unique way. And if you do have the complicity of senior officers, which we did here with Kraft, I don't care how good your internal controls are. They're going to wind up getting violated. So that did lead me to wonder, well, 
how did Kraft get into this jam in the first place? And that's where we could maybe step back and look at some of the history here. Um, in 2013, the private equity firm 3G Partners and Berkshire Hathaway of Warren Buffett fame. In 2013, they first acquired H.J. Hines. And then in 2015, they combined H.G. Hines with Kraft into uh, this Kraft Hines behemoth. And then being owned by private equity, uh, mostly, I think it was 51%, but they were still reporting public earnings. Uh, as a private equity-owned firm, the private equity guys then did what all private equity people do, which is, number one, they assume that they know best, and number two, they cut costs. And that, that was suddenly the modus operandi at Kraft Heinz. Um, so as soon as 3G, which is world famous for being cheap and stingy and cutting costs every which way they can, and they do zero budgeting, and they make you print uh, on both sides of the paper at the office printer, and they get rid of the jello that you might give out at the company kitchen, and you name it, they do it. That cost cutting became the singular focus for 3G's ownership of Kraft Heinz. And so suddenly, 3G was tying performance metrics and compensation to executives' abilities to cut cost. And procurement division employees at Kraft, they clearly they knew this, they heard this. Uh, and that pressure from 3G onto senior executives cut, uh, cut cost at all times. That message then flowed down to the procurement mid-level people. You too must cut costs at all times in any which way you can. And there was a, a little snippet in the SEC order about um, division employees, procurement division employees, saying that the COO, Pelissoni, he, quote, pushed like crazy, a close quote, for them to meet their cost savings goals. And he then would keep increasing the cost savings goals, even when Kraft met its larger cost savings goals uh, as a company, Pelissoni was apparently still raising internal performance goals and quotas to cut costs even more. Uh, so by, you know, you can skate along like that for only so long, but by 2017 and 2018, Kraft had already cut everything it possibly could and squeezed its suppliers in every possible way. And then they still have to squeeze more. So it was that relentless pressure to cut costs that led employees to say, we need to do something else. Let's try this prebate uh, chicanery. And I think that is the lesson here, is that when your business is based on a misguided strategic goal and you are using a therefore flawed performance metric, such as cutting costs, it, eventually that's going to warp your corporate culture to the point where misconduct is the only way to execute the strategy. And then, like I said before, once you're at that point, I don't care how good your internal controls are. You can have all the ICFR in the world. Your employees are still going to find a way to commit fraud. And so I had been thinking about that, Tom, and looking at Kraft. And then, Tom, here's my question to you. What is the company that we have talked about many times before on this podcast where flawed strategic goal and flawed performance metrics led to a terrible corporate culture? What are we thinking of here, Tom? What is the firm? Since I've read your blog post, I know the answer, but let me answer it this way. Uh, I drew a straight line from Wells Fargo to Kraft Foods. Yep. Uh, would that be a fair assessment from your perspective? 
I, absolutely. I was reading the SEC's enforcement order against Kraft and thinking, this has Wells Fargo written all over it. And literally, Tom, you and I have talked about it and written about Wells Fargo, where they pretty much had the exact same problem. What I thought was fascinating was with Wells Fargo, and I'm sure many people listening here already know, it's false customer account scandal, which has cost that firm billions and billions of dollars. Um, What they had done with Wells Fargo is instead of making the strategic goal cost cutting, they had made the strategic goal growth by selling multiple products to a customer. And then you had to sell more and more and more products to a customer. And they came up with their cross-sell metric. And if you weren't hitting your cross-sell metric, then you would not get your performance bonus or you would get uh, ousted from the company or whatnot. And ultimately at Wells, because employees had no other choice to hit their cross-sell metric, they had to engage in fraud. The exact same thing. That's it. That, that It is Kraft and Wells Fargo both. Senior managers set a goal, set a metric to achieve that goal, and then piled so much pressure on the employees that they had no choice, they felt, but to commit fraud. Now, with Wells Fargo, the goal was growth. So they committed sales and revenue recognition fraud. With Kraft, the goal was cost cutting. So they committed procurement and accounting fraud. But it's the same thing. It's the same dynamic, just with a different dialect. And other than that, you know, there's really no distinction between these two cases. And I think that is something that compliance professionals would want to keep in mind. If you're looking to assess the conduct risk at your company, what are the goals? How are we measuring those goals? And therefore, what are the ways somebody might try to game the metric for those goals if they felt so much pressure? Now, we can address the pressure separately, but in the minutiae, you'd be thinking about, well, okay, if they're going to be under relentless pressure to cut costs, they might try to do procurement fraud. How would they do that? They do it with third parties. How would you do that with third parties? You know, yeah, maybe you do it with a prebate kind of caper, and you can figure out if prebates are the risk there for fraud, what internal controls could we put in place? What documentation demands could we put in place? And you can start to build some internal control activities around the specific frauds. Tom, we could still talk an awful lot about the broader pressure problem and the corporate culture that is getting warped, but there's all sorts of ways that you can see parallels in these two cases, and they can really inform how a compliance officer might want to assess the risks at your own business. There is uh, one more level to this story, and the SEC Commissioner Caroline Crenshaw brought it up in a speech And uh, it is a topic that she has certainly articulated before, but now it seems to me she's got a pretty good example or at least one that fits her model. Could you tell us about the speech, what her theory of enforcement is and why the Kraft Foods case may be poster child number one for a change in SEC enforcement philosophy? Yeah. So technically, Commissioner Crenshaw, she delivered a written statement, not a spoken speech, and it's not too long, but it is specific to the enforcement action here. Her issue is that Kraft announced its accounting impropriety problems in the midst of another gigantic business problem. So as we said, that merger with Kraft and Heinz 
ultimately led to an enormous write-down of goodwill in 2019, a $15 billion announcement. That is a huge write-down by any metric. It was a total disaster. It sent the stock price plummeting. And amid this cacophony of bad news, Kraft also snuck in a little statement. Oh, and by the way, we're also under investigation by the SEC for accounting fraud. But we think that this is only going to be about $25 million in questionable cost savings. And we have no direct evidence yet that any senior executives were involved. That's, that is what Kraft said in February of 2019. Then in May of 2019, the company said, well, it's actually going to be a bit more than $25 million, but we still do have no evidence, we believe, that senior executives were involved. And then a month after that, in June of 2019, they said, well, we're actually going to put out a restatement of the last three years' financials, and it's it's $208 million. Never mind that they had said three months before it's 25 million. Now it's 208. Uh, it's 208 million dollars, but we still have no evidence that senior executives were involved in the fraud. And now a year later, two years later, here we are that the accounting fraud is done. And by the way, the COO and the chief procurement officer are pretty much ready to plead out that they were also complicit in this after saying how many times there was no senior executives involved. And, of course, all of this happened under the enormous bad news that had nothing to do with fraud or legal violations. It was just a goodwill write-down because the business was a mess. Crenshaw's point is this, that if you are going to base SEC policies or penalties on the benefits that the company gained from violating the law, well, how do you determine those when – you can't determine the true cost or the, the pain of that disclosure because they bury it amid other bad news. You know, so let's say that Kraft throws up a goodwill write down and a restatement and its share price drops 50% and also we're under investigation for accounting fraud. Well, if the share price goes down 50%, how much of that decline was due to the misconduct? And from there, you could reverse engineer what a proper penalty would be versus saying, oh, and by the way, the big merger that we did was a total mess and our whole strategy is on fire. You know, what was that 50 percent decline? How much was it business bad news? How much was it fraud bad news? And how are you supposed to pluck out the fraud bad news to say that's how we're going to figure out our penalty? Crenshaw was complaining about, you know, information bundling, which is a thing. Companies do this all the time where they hide the illegal bad news among the business bad news. And then you can't figure out what the actual cost of the illegal bad news is. And so you don't know what the the, the penalty should be. And so she said, why don't we just base our, our penalties on, you know, the actual misconduct they did, regardless of whatever that did or didn't bring for benefits because we can't quite figure out what the benefits were because when you disclose it, it's buried in all this pile of other bad news and we don't know which part of the bad is related to the misconduct. And so, look, you know, we had senior executives involved in the fraud. It was much larger than what they originally said. So let's just figure out what a good penalty is and whack them. That's basically what Crenshaw was saying. Um, now, she has talked before about the need for a more muscular approach to SEC penalties. Now she's got this specific case. She's not wrong to point out all the ways that companies try to do the little dodge and weave around bad news related to misconduct. 
I don't know what this would result in for actual change in SEC enforcement policy, but I personally, I don't think Crenshaw is talking about this just to hear herself speak. I think she's talking about it because she will stake out a more extreme position, and that gives the chairman, Gary Gensler, and the head of the enforcement division, it gives them more cover to say, well, we're not going to go to the extreme, but we're going to go 60% extreme. And so, therefore, we're not really that extreme, but they still get what they want, and they've still moved the football in the same basic direction. I'm not sure we're going to see that with SEC penalty policy, but I do think that we might, and I think it's something that people should keep an eye on, uh, that you know, maybe this is going to happen. And Caroline Crenshaw is not wrong to say that you know, maybe there's a good reason for it. Really turned into, I thought, uh, perhaps not delicious is the right word. But it struck me that there's so many lessons on so many different levels, Matt, and coupled with uh, Commissioner Crenshaw's remarks, you were able to package all of this literally in one blog post. And I I could see literally four different blog posts out of this should you have uh, uh, chosen to go that way. But it's certainly something that uh, I think every compliance practitioner needs to, to study, think about and see if they're or any of these um, missteps in terms of, or I even pulled out my Latin dictionary, but deterious uh, compensation structures or incentive programs in place. Uh, it's certainly, there's an awful lot to discuss here, Tom. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it's a delicious case because this is a food business, uh, but it's Kraft and Heinz and heavily processed. So we could get away with saying it's a high calorie enforcement case. I don't know how delicious it is going to be, but I think there's an awful lot to unpack and consider here and especially keep an eye on what Commissioner Crenshaw is saying. I think she's saying it for a reason and we should take that seriously. That seems like a great note to end this podcast on, Matt. Can't wait to see what we can come up with next week. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog post in the show notes, so I hope you will check it out and perhaps even read the SEC enforcement action against Kraft Foods. I'm running a special six-part podcast series this week commemorating the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I hope you will check that podcast series out as I visit with compliance professionals about where they were on September 11th and their reflections on what that day meant for the compliance profession and for them personally. It's on Innovation and Compliance, posts each day at 6 a.m. Please check it out. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope we'll check out many of the other offerings on the Compliance Podcast Network as we have a wide variety of topics related to compliance. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.